0: Hey friends, this is episode 8 of Calm Words for Anxious Hearts. It's Tuesday in Holy Week, and this is the only episode we'll be releasing this week because we'll have a sermon for you on Maundy Thursday and Good Friday, and we don't want to overload you with content this week. And so this is your one and only Holy Week podcast, and so I'll do my best to make it count. Traditionally, people tend to think of Holy Week as a week of great solemnity, When Easter comes, then we can smile and be happy, but until then, in the name of God and to please our Lord, we will sit in misery during Holy Week and focus on our sins. Now that's a bit of a caricature, but we don't tend to associate Holy Week with joy. And this year, I want us to reconsider that, because God knows we all need a little joy right now, and the world needs a little joy. And so with that, let's turn to the Gospel of John. A reading from the Gospel of John, chapter 15, verses 9 through 11. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. I have said these things to you, so that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be complete. Here ends the reading. So, in case you're not sold on Holy Week being a time of joy, I do want to note the context in which Jesus spoke these words, and that is the last week of Jesus' life, or if you prefer, the very first Holy Week. And notice, Jesus' message to his disciples is not, this is going to be brutal for me, and given that I know you'll all abandon me, the least you can do is keep your head down and be sad all week, but rather... I've said these things to you, he says, so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. How often do we forget that God's deepest intent for our life is to experience a deep and abiding joy? This is the point of our faith. Christianity is not a faith for only the serious and the sincere. It's not a program of religious training for the most outstanding moral athletes And it's certainly not a request on God's part that we abandon joy for the sake of some high and more noble purpose. But I have said these things, I have said all things, so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. Living a joy-filled life is a challenging thing in today's world, and there are lots of reasons for that. But for today's episode, I want to name just three. First, it is impossible to be joyful if we are preoccupied with ourselves and with all the mental noise that is forever interpreting everything that happens in life as being about us. To illustrate, there's a great story about a man who wants to hang a picture, but he doesn't have a hammer, and so he decides to go to his neighbor to borrow a hammer. But then he starts to think, Perhaps his neighbor won't give him a hammer. After all, just the other day, the neighbor had given him a hasty greeting, not the jolly hello he was used to. And so the man thinks, well, he's probably got something against me, which is unfair because I didn't do anything to him. And on and on he reasoned in his mind until he worked himself up into such a rage against his repulsive neighbor that he runs over to his house, rings the doorbell, and at the top of his lungs screams, just keep your stupid hammer. Someone once said that the biggest difference between us and God is that God never gets confused and mistakes himself for us. In fact, at the very beginning of John's gospel, when the religious leaders go to John the Baptist to ask him who he is, the first thing he says is, "'I am not the Messiah.'" To experience joy, our heart must learn the habit of letting those five words sink in. I am not the Messiah. I am not the center. Whatever is irritating me, it's really not about me. In other words, there's a direct correlation between humility and joy. And whenever I use that word humility, I don't mean thinking less of ourselves. I mean thinking of ourselves less. I mean, learning to observe our crazy mental commentary with a little bit more objectivity until we see that most of the drama we get sucked into, it really is not that important. Because ultimately, joy is not something our competitive and self-asserting mind creates. It's the fruit of Jesus Christ being formed in us, which cannot happen if we are preoccupied with ourselves. It's also impossible to be joyful whenever we're preoccupied with things. In fact, the very first psalm has a lot to say about joy. The very first word in the very first psalm is the word happy. Psalm 1 is a psalm about joy. And I would encourage you to go read Psalm 1 after this episode, where the psalmist compares the happy person to a tree that is planted by streams of water. And I love this image because there is a difference between being a tree that draws on a nearby stream and a tree that depends on the fickleness of the outside rain. In other words, there is a difference between drawing on inner resources, that is our own intimate relationship with God, and depending on outside factors, things that are completely outside of our control, for our sense of happiness and well-being. And so think of the things that tend to make us happy. The size of our bank account, positive feedback at work, a clean kitchen, um, knowing we love, being sick or depressed. These are all like the rain, and sometimes they fall down on us steadily, but sometimes life throws us a curveball. There's a virus, and we're on lockdown, and all that outside rain we've been relying on and taking for granted to nourish us. It has stopped falling. Well, the psalmist's point and the consistent witness of the Bible is that we can't depend on any of these things that are external to ourself for our sense of happiness and joy. But like the tree in Psalm 1, we have to be rooted. We have to be drawing on something that isn't subject to changing seasons, something greater than our circumstances. And, of course, that's something is God. And then three, it's really hard to be joyful if we're always trying to avoid the things in life that hurt or that are painful. We get rid of our pain by seeking distractions. We get rid of our insecurity by eliminating risks. We get rid of our disappointment by downplaying our deepest hopes. But here's the paradox of Christianity, Joy is not found in avoiding our cross. It's found in embracing our cross with Jesus and for Jesus. And that is why joy and Holy Week go together. As Paul put it in Romans, suffering produces perseverance and perseverance character and character hope. And it's that hope, we believe, that scatters the darkness. In other words, pain is not good. But God is good, and part of God's redemptive work is to help us move deeper into our pain in order to make us more like himself and becoming more like God, being changed from the inside out. This is what increases our capacity for joy. And so joy is impossible if we are preoccupied with ourselves, if we are preoccupied with things, or if we're always trying to get rid of our pain. And yet, as Jesus says in this gospel reading, joy is the whole point of the Christian life. And so the question I want us to consider this week, how is it that we increase our capacity to experience the deep joy that Jesus talks about? Well, for starters, there is something pretty foundational that we need to understand about God, because we're not going to get joy if we don't first understand that God is the most joyful being in the entire universe. In fact, I think it's pretty important to know that God must live a very interesting life. After all, whenever God created the heavens and the earth, God did not casually remark, it'll have to do. No, God rejoiced when he saw that it was very good. And when God created you, he did not say, you'll have to do. God rejoiced because he saw that you too are very good. And that's because joy is foundational to the character of God. You see, the sorrow of God, kind of like the anger of God, this is just God's temporary response to the way we do harm to one another. But all sorrow and anger will forever be banished from God's heart on that future day when Jesus sets our world right, because joy is foundational to the character of God, and there is no no being in this universe more joyful than God. And then second, joy is the fruit of knowing that we belong to God. As Jesus prays elsewhere in the Gospel of John, Father, I ask these things on behalf of those whom you gave me, because they are yours. Take a deep breath and let those three words sink in. Jesus speaking to God about you said, they are yours. Or like we say at someone's baptism, you are sealed by the Holy Spirit in baptism and you are marked as Christ's own forever. Joy is just what happens to us as we move deeper and deeper and deeper into that heart knowledge that we belong to God, that nothing, as Paul says in Romans, will ever be able to separate us from the love of Christ. Not ourselves, not our sins, not our seriousness, as Jesus said to his Father, they are yours. And waking up to that reality, that we belong to God, this is what breeds joy in our life. And so as we move towards that Friday we call good, don't be overly serious. Allow the Spirit to draw you outside of yourself in some way, Dance, sing, be goofy, live love, lighten up. Christ has died, Christ has risen, Christ will come again. God wins. You and I are free. That is the whole point of Holy Week. Please don't miss it. Because to quote our Lord in the final week of his life, that most holy of all weeks, I speak these things in the world so that they might have my joy made complete in themselves. Let us pray. Almighty and everlasting God, whose will it is to restore all things in your well-beloved Son, the King of kings and Lord of lords, mercifully grant that the peoples of the earth, divided and enslaved by sin, may be freed and brought together under his most gracious rule